0: Welcome back to the Fire Steve Sarkeesian podcast, your overreactionary Texas Longhorns football fan podcast. My name is Josh, and I'm joined by Noah to talk a little about that 41 to 20 win over the Roadrunners of UTSA. A little bit about that upcoming game this Saturday in Lubbock against Texas Tech, and also a little bit of the, about the state of the program overall. I think so, Noah. I mean, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty well, and you know, I'm hoping that the listeners are doing well. They might be doing a little bit better now that I have an actual mic again. Uh, the last couple of weeks, <laughs> my mic broke, so I've been just kind of recording from whatever I had. So I apologize to everybody. I appreciate the people that stuck through it, but I'm I'm happy to actually have like a recording set up again so that, you know, I'm not bursting people's eardrums. Uh, I, I did listen to the ULM preview on the way to Austin. So I just want everybody to know that I was there with you in solidarity, feeling the pain right alongside the rest of y'all.
0: And also sitting there and just going like, damn, that was a great take. I had a great take there. Just really gassing yourself up, right?
1: Yeah, it was honestly one of the best drives I've had to Austin. It's a 3-hour drive and like that was a third of it that was just incredible. I got to say those Josh and Noah fellows are really talented. Got a rival like Josh Pate there, like that level of uh really that level of analysis just a little bit lacking in the audio department.
0: Yeah, I mean if it makes you feel any better, I don't think anyone really noticed anything was wrong with your mic because they were too busy yelling at me about the name of the podcast because people insist on being that genius who tells me that it's a bad podcast name thank you i i appreciate the feedback it helps a lot
1: yeah it's true but obviously whenever i joined y'all were already up and going as fire tom herman i just like that it's something that changes with the program you know it grows with the program through every new hiring and it takes on so many different meanings like right now we're all happy and little bit tipsy on the kool-aid but you know last year and the year before that was very much not the case it's very flexible very flexible
0: so anyway the the utsa game obviously uh i think a lot of texas fans thought it was a bit sarcastic i sort of thought it was an honest way to look at it to call that utss utsa game really a classic trap game because you're coming down off the big game against alabama win or lose there was a lot of focus that went into that game and there's sort of that breath afterwards and it is easy to get caught even against you know weaker opponents to get caught not really putting your full attention towards them coming off of those big games especially when you've got it followed up by the start of conference play which is obviously steve sarkeesian is really pressed that regardless of this loss to alabama the the main goals are still in place to to compete for a big 12 title so there's a lot of focus on that conference slate so this was really a classic trap game and i think after about you know the midpoint of the second quarter it seemed like texas was not treating it like it was going to be an issue they they really came back focused after utsa jumped out to that 17 to 7 lead and basically smothered utsa the rest of the way
1: i think that the team definitely didn't perform as well as alabama we kind of talked about it a little bit last week but alabama was probably our best performance of the season and that's okay i don't i don't think we need to panic every time we don't play as well as we did that game because a one game every season is going to be your best performance. You can't perform at the same level in all 12 games. And, you know, if you have to choose, you want it to be against Alabama, right? Uh, And then B, the coaching that went into that game, I think the coaching advantage was larger there than any other game on the schedule we're going to have because Sark knows that program so well. You know, they talked about Gary Patterson spent months on the game plan. Well, that's months on the defense side of the game plan. And then on the offensive side, you have Sark, who's going to know everything – about Pete Golding in terms of personnel and in terms of checks. So we saw how much motion Sark was putting into it. And a lot of that was because he knew which checks he could force uh, Golding and the Bama defense into, and then how to exploit those. Right. So I don't think that we should be disappointed with any, you know, any given week, we shouldn't be disappointed just because we didn't play as well as we did in week two. So that being said, you know, UTSA there was definitely a little bit of lacking focus at the start. I wasn't, too upset about it, uh, if I'm being completely honest, because A, you know, the defense was giving up yards to start, but that we're going up against their script. Theoretically, every team, their first drive should be one of their best. And then B, it wasn't so much a hangover as much as a, I think that they just lack game day focus. Because a hangover, you usually think like, the next day you're feeling bad, right? Or like, it seemed like the team was still well-practiced and they had a good week of prep. Because like you said, they're able to turn it on. After that initial stumble.
0: Yep. And I think the, the, the biggest focus was obviously on seeing what we could do with Hudson card. Obviously, Quinn Ewers still out. I think a lot of Texas fans wanted to see how Hudson card performed. It was really difficult to get a read on, okay, what version of Hudson card do we have after that Alabama game? At the very least, it wasn't the Hudson card that we saw panicking against Arkansas. There was definitely a lot of maturity and a lot of development compared to where he was the same time last season. However, it it was hard to tell how big that step forward was when it was against Alabama. And I think we saw a game plan from Sark that didn't ask Card to do too much because he was obviously still hurting. He was obviously obviously still limping around a little bit between every play, having trouble really driving the ball down the field. Yes, there was also the stuff that is sort of classic Hudson Card stuff, doesn't really have the anticipation all there. This, that, and the other thing. However, I think Sark called a good game to take advantage of what Hudson could do and what they could do to sort of hide the things that he couldn't do.
1: Yeah. And it was a very standard thing. You know, I think that Sark is definitely the type that he's going to, that he used the term best pitches in one of his press conferences. Like he'll throw his best pitches, but he's really not going to get that creative and outside of the box except for the big games where he needs to. So everything against UTSA was pretty standard. Keep it simple uh keep it easy for card you know really rely on the run game let let our ballers carry us to a win let Bijan and Roshan eat and they're able to do it uh over the course of the game even if it took a little bit of a slow start they had to overcome which of course is compounded whenever you lose possession on on an onside kick error so um offense kind of just hummed along I thought it's it's kind of is what it is, I think, at this point, with, um, with the run game. Uh, unexpectedly, I think that the offensive line is really not performing well. Uh, I, got, I did, so a couple stats that I pulled from Bill Connolly's advanced box scores. In the three games so far, in terms of yards before contact, ULM was 1.2 yards, Bama was negative one, and UTSA was 2.3. So technically, UTSA was our best game of the year, in terms of creating space for running backs but it still didn't look very easy
0: yeah it definitely looked very difficult at times i think we did some pretty pretty good film review with will baser uh earlier this week on the horns cast discord make sure you uh sign up for that if you haven't already but really sort of wanted to pick through and see the the tail of the tape so to speak so looked at a lot of what went wrong in the running game. It really seemed like Cole Hudson was a guy who, who had a bad game, really struggled uh, with run blocking, especially. I think the pass blocking solid. Obviously, anytime Hudson Card, who has a tendency to self-sack, comes out of a game basically with a clean jersey, I, I think is definitely a win for the pass blocking and a win for Kyle Flood's unit. But the run blocking is definitely disappointing. Um, I don't know that I'd agree with unexpectedly. I mean, we are starting to true freshman on that line so it's not a total shock but i do wish that i I do hope that it comes together and gets continuously better because i mean most of what you just listed is i mean i guess in three games when it's up down up it's not a whole lot of positives to take away but i i think that's a unit knowing kyle flood knowing what we saw last year the progression through the season that's a unit that's going to come together over time
1: right and you know, to clarify, I the unexpected part for me is not that we're not good, more just that I thought that the run blocking would be ahead of the pass blocking. Whereas so far, the pass blocking has been pretty good. Hayden Connor missed a crucial block <laughs> so that got Quinn Ewers injured. Uh, so it obviously hasn't been perfect whenever both of your quarterbacks are injured. Uh, that means there's room for improvement. But it's been a lot better than the run blocking. And I do agree with you that I, I'm expecting to see improvement, and I'm also expecting to see sark and flood be able to plan and lean into what the line is actually doing well because i think that it, like the outside zone type stuff they're actually pretty decent at um so i think we'll see more of that going forward which should improve things as we as we get into the conference play
0: i think the other thing that'll definitely help the run blocking will just be once quinn ewers comes back whether that's this week next week whenever he comes back Just the ability to sort of dot up a defense in the secondary, especially with that deep ball. Guys like Xavier Worthy being that much more of a deep threat. When Hudson Card is in there, especially in the state that he's in right now where he really can't drive the ball down the field or do it accurately, it does make it easier for a defense to key in. They can be a lot more aggressive. You saw that with UTSA. There was no... No real deep threat, even despite the fact that the, like, the secondary for UTSA is really not a whole lot to write home about. It's really not that exciting. But it allowed their linebackers basically to crash every single play and get in the way every single play. And a lot of the reason that we had as big a game on the ground as we did is just because Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson are that good that they can make things happen even when they're getting hit in the backfield.
1: Yeah, those those linebackers were really aggressive it was almost comical watching them just as soon as the snap came if Hudson wasn't if Hudson was doing any sort of motion they were just running straight um, also okay official proposal we all know that Bijan is that dude but I think that we also all know that Roshan is that dude so I just think that they should be them dudes
0: co-dudes
1: Though dudes? those? co-dudes
0: co-dudes yeah 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 they can co-dudes be, they, they can are be both co-dudes. dudes yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh.
1: Yeah. Because they're they're both so good. Um. You know, Bijan had the two like crazy plays. And I know PFF actually grayed out Roshan better than Bijan. Um. So, yeah. They're they're pretty sick. So, for those three numbers I was reading earlier about yards before contact per rush, well, the yards after contact, ULM and Bama were both about three and a half. UTSA was six. That's a lot of yards that you're picking up, even if you're gonna hit at the line. Um, you're still going to have at least a, a decent run game, right? So, um, yeah, I, I but I totally agree with you. Like Quinn just brings an entirely different dynamic and ceiling uh, to the team. So we'll see if he plays this week. I'm you know hopeful, but I wouldn't expect it. Uh, but once he does get back, it should be fun to kind of start watching the offense carve some people up.
0: Yeah. Because once that opens up that offense, you're going to see Bijan, Roshan, Keelan all just going absolutely wild when there's suddenly way more space than what they're dealing with right now. And to still be able to be as successful as they have been running the ball is absolutely impressive um, just when the offense is as limited as it is. We also saw more and more of the Roshan wildcat, more of the wrinkles that we're going to see out of that. I think it's just a matter of time. Before eventually that one turns into a pop pass. They're, they're showing a lot of different looks. A lot of different ways that Roshan's Wildcat can work. Because It's not just like. It's not like you're just playing. You know NCAA 14. Where there is one Wildcat formation. There are several different formations. Several different alignments. Different downs and distances. That we're willing to deploy that package in. And every week we just add. A, a couple more wrinkles here and there. So we had a lot of the. The, the go-go packages. We had a lot of what we were used to seeing last year. We had true triple option stuff coming out of that. So it, it gets more and more complex. I think that just is another dimension to how good we know Roshan is, not just as a player, but as as a leader and mentally, that he's able to handle so much of this responsibility to run that effectively. But I I think at this point, yeah, it, it is just a waiting game for when do we really pull off the trick play for this? Where does Roshan get the chance to actually throw out of his wildcat formation? Because it has to be coming. We've all been waiting for it for years now. Where is it?
1: So Herman ran the pop pass with little Jordan Humphrey, right? Or was it Colin Johnson yes. to little Jordan Humphrey? I can't remember which way it was. But yeah, I think... I it was little Jordan to Colin Johnson. It, it was the other way. Okay. Yeah, I think that we will we might see some of that. I'm still just waiting like for some just classic option, like speed option type stuff. Cause to me that seems dangerous. Like you got Keelan Robinson coming around, Roshan's just taking off, you know, the defender, make him make that read rather than like the, the read option if, you know, if we're putting it in NCAA terms, like the speed option rather than the read option. Um, but yeah, I think that there's a ton of stuff that you can go there and Brennan Marion, and that's essentially what GoGo is, is it's triple option concepts with a new look, uh, with the three, with the two backs there um so it'll be fun and you know it's also fun that i'm sure there's a million things we haven't even thought of that sark has in some of these packages
0: yeah i think we're really gonna see that get unveiled as it seems like a lot of the texas coaches do probably in the cotton bowl against oklahoma is where you're gonna see a much more weaponized version of what we're building and that's Understanding still that Sark is still a very, very good offensive coach, very good offensive play caller, to where that's not going to be the end all, be all of it. It's going to continue to get built on. We're just going to see the biggest single week to week step, I think, come in Dallas against Oklahoma.
1: I I think that we'll probably see less of the RoCat over the course of the season because. Okay, so here's the here's the decision that he's going to be facing at some point in the next couple weeks is you have Quinn Ewers coming back from injury. So, then you have the ability to run your entire playbook. You have the ability to push the ball down the field, but then you also have ROCAT. So, in my mind, what that says is you're going to be running less ROCAT than we saw this past week, but you might be doing some more of those special plays from it whenever you have it on the field. Um, so, you know, we'll see how it all plays out. I'm pretty sure that whatever it is, it's going to play out well <laughs> but just because I think that the offense is that talented. And, you know, to keep it basic, like I'm also just happy to see some of those jet sweeps that we were running. You know, we still have a little bit of Maryland flashbacks, I think, but that actually is just a good simple thing you can do to help out with some of those linebackers shooting the gaps that we were talking about.
0: And I do like some of the the looks that we gave to that those jet sweeps and those sort of um, little forward toss passes that we, we gave, especially to Jordan Whittington, where we really made it look like almost a double mesh. You you really freeze up the defense when it's the the, the wide receiver and the running back are crossing in front of the quarterback going different directions. And you can't assume that it's going to one or the other because both guys theoretically could get it. I, I like that bit of misdirection and motion to to keep the the linebackers on their heels for just that split second longer. So that was a fun wrinkle to see there for, for sure. Uh, on the other side of the ball, obviously, I, I think that was where people were probably the most frustrated going through the first half uh, felt like, like like you talked about UTSA that first drive kind of walked down the field that's to be expected your first drive being scripted is supposed to be the most effective drive you want to start that off on the right foot but it, it seemed like people got a little antsy pretty quick with the defense's performance at least in the first quarter at least
1: so i can i can say that i was one of those people last week you know i almost said some stuff on the podcast that three little word uh but i restrained myself from doing it And so I was certainly in my feels in the first quarter, but really on rewatch, like I think that it was just small stuff. Like I I don't think that it was necessarily lack of effort. I don't think that it was like a letdown game. I just think that the team wasn't, didn't have that right game day focus that they needed. But a lot of the stuff that has been great for the defense so far this season was still there, even in the first quarter. I thought the defensive line was still disruptive. I thought, Ford and Overshon were playing their gaps right. Uh, you know, there weren't huge run responsibility busts along the defensive line like we saw in the one play against Alabama. It was just kind of a matter of I think execution. Um, you know, Ford had a couple of missed tackles, and so some of those small mistakes can add up, and then you throw in the onside kick, which is, you know, theoretically shouldn't happen again. Once you see it once like one time, the the guys should know not to get back that soon. So I I, under, I understand the frustration, and I understand that even in the second half, once we started shutting them down, uh, we weren't forcing three and outs. It wasn't like this dominating defensive performance like it was for that stretch against Alabama. But I think a lot of that in the second half was just Frank Harris being a baller, just making plays, extending, throwing on the run. And so sometimes, whenever you have you know whenever a great player makes great plays, you just kind of got to accept it
0: yeah and i think a lot of texas fans were especially worried about the pass rush it felt like at times that frank harris was just going to be another one of those quarterbacks it felt like it's been a long line of quarterbacks over this last 10 12 13 years where it's just you know a guy who's i mean good to not good sometimes but it feels like every quarterback seems to want to have a career day against us and I think some Texas fans got some flashbacks watching Harris get away from pressure over and over and over again that fans were really starting to to break a little bit, thinking, oh boy, here we go. Yet again, we're having someone that should not be torching us, absolutely torching us. And while it felt pretty bad, you, you go back and look at the stats, I mean, outside of a few good runs and just evading pressure, statistically Frank Harris was not going wild on us. He did not have a career day, he was not dominating. He was definitely the guy keeping UTSA's offense in it, though, because if it wasn't for the fact that he was as fast and smart and confident in that scheme, being the sixth-year senior that he is, Texas probably gets to him five, six, seven times with the amount of pressure that we were bringing through UTSA's line.
1: Yeah, the pressure rate was really high. It was really good, so that certainly wasn't an issue of you know, just not being able to get to the quarterback and he can sit there all day and pick you apart. And then the other thing is not only was he a veteran quarterback, all of his wide receivers are veterans, right? Like there's guys with 2000 plus yards over the course of their career. And so whenever a quarterback and receivers are playing together that for that duration, and they all have that much experience, then they're going to know how to play off of each other on those scramble things. You're going to actually see the receivers do the right thing of you know, breaking off the route and coming back. So it's certainly frustrating. I think it's something that the defense will need to work on. It's not it's not the kind of thing where you just throw out the tape and say, oh well it was just they just got us a couple times. You you keep working on it, especially the edges, because I don't think the edges played up to their potential, but you keep on working on it and you learn how to, you know, pivot off of that moving forward.
0: And I think Frank Harris and the UTSA wide receiver core I'll go out on a probably not-so-bold limb. We have played two of the three best mobile quarterbacks that we're going to play this season already. Bryce Young, Frank Harris, off the board. The guys with the most escapability, the most confidence, the best outright quarterbacks. I think your next one is probably Spencer Sanders, maybe Dylan Gabriel. And then beyond that, this conference does... well. Jalen Daniels, I guess, he has been off to a hot start for Kansas. But, I mean, outside of that, we're, we're kind of past the hardest part, as, at least as far as just mobile quarterbacks are concerned.
1: And, of course, as you were saying, there have pl- been plenty of guys that were not necessarily mobile quarterbacks that we thought we'd be able to handle that have had career days. I don't think that we're in the business of doing that anymore. I'm not expecting another corn dog to come out of nowhere and just slap us in the face taylor Cornelius. for those that you know may not have been around in 2018 but i think i'm just really happy with the defense you know it's it's it is what it is we don't have the talent level that some teams have consistently across the board um, and by some teams i mean georgia um <laughs> and maybe Alabama. i don't think
0: anyone has that yeah
1: even bama doesn't
0: have what yeah. georgia has right right
1: now. so you know it's are we going to be Georgia? No. Are we even going to be like A&M or, uh, Iowa? Michigan. Like, probably, yeah. Michigan. Like, no, but is the defense going to be a huge improvement from last year? Yes. Like it, it's, I think it's already pretty clear that that's the case. Um, I know that most of the advanced stats have us like every week we've, we've risen up the rankings of SB plus and FEI. um, and so, of course, that means that we're playing well, but that also means that the more that they're phasing out their preseason and retur- returning production metrics, and just basing it on this season, like we're rising into the top thirty. Um, and so, I think that's a pretty big step forward, and you know, considerably raises the ceiling of the team.
0: Yeah, and we talked a lot about it in that that preseason show uh, before the ULM game was. We talked a lot, a lot about how there's those steps. I guess it was really the steps that you outlined going from being a bad defense to a med defense, to a good defense, to a great defense. And I think at this point we can solidly say we're at least on schedule for med, if not a little bit ahead of schedule, getting there into the, you know, this is a solid to good defense at this
1: point. I would totally give us good. And I was not expecting that, Uh, but we have a lot of guys playing like they're in contract years because a lot of them are. And it does seem like they've figured out personnel. You know, we haven't seen as much like, oh, Alfred Collins is inside. No, we're playing him at edge. Oh, no, he's inside. You know, we're not moving safeties and cornerbacks around. Um, So I think that the players are buying into the system, listening to the coaches. We heard Jalen Ford talk about that this week, that he always wanted to be great. He told Jeff Choate whenever he first got here, he wanted to be great. But it took him a little bit to really listen to what Choate was doing So that he could then become great, which, you know, he might still have a little bit of work to go to get there. But, um, point being, the players are stepping up. And in turn, I think that the coaches are starting to feel confident in personnel, you know, knowing where the personnel go, knowing where they can put them in position to succeed, which then just allows the guys to get consistent reps and develop at a single spot. So it's something that should build on itself from here. And there's a lot of young talent on the defense. Outside of like off ball linebacker, (laughs) I think there's a lot of good pieces to work with. So I'm feeling pretty good about kind of the state of the team there.
0: One guy I thought that had a pretty good game, especially after a really rough 2021, was Deshaun Jameson. He wasn't flawless by any stretch. He had two really good pass breakups. He had the one in the end zone. I think he had another one in the third quarter there uh, that was pretty, uh, a very strong pass breakup. But very impressed with with how he played had that one where he kind of got burned and gave up the long touchdown that thankfully got called back due to a procedural penalty on UTSA but outside of that I mean Deshaun Jameson was looking reliable Ryan Watts was sort of had a a weird game weird pass interference call on him
1: Watts Watts was kind of the epitome of the the focus issue (laughs) like where he was in position he just managed to mess it up (laughs) multiple times
0: yeah that double pass touchdown was like, watts, you're you're in the right place. you're looking back for the ball and you just sort of overran where you needed to be to make a play. i I'm not sure why that mat, that last piece was missing, but in the end, uh didn't really come back to bite us other than just frustrate us a little bit in the first half. but in the end a a forty one 20 win, I think if you told Texas fans, hey, you're gonna win by twenty one points over UTSA. At the start of the year, I think everyone would have taken that. And given the spot that we were in coming off of that Bama game with the, the potential for the emotional letdown, I think everyone would have taken that. 21-point win over what's perceived to be a very good G5 team. I don't think anyone's going to scoff at that.
1: Absolutely. I would have taken it preseason. And then last week, if you had told me that, I would have taken it last week. I'll take it next week, you know, especially without Quinn. But you're spot on about Deshaun Jameson. It really feels like he's putting everything together and I think that it's been amazing to see him like playing around the ball whenever the ball is arriving right actually getting those pass breakups because we all know that he's athletic and as a shorter guy you have to do some of that right you can't just rely on length to disturb a receiver you have to have some of that closing athleticism and put it to use so it's been great to see him do that Um, in the same vein like Keandre Coburn is another fifth year fifth year sixth year guy that's just having a great year and those are the two guys that I think preseason is probably audio of me saying that you know I I think the ceiling of the defense is raised if those two guys end up on the bench because that means they were surpassed by somebody else but they've done it themselves you know they surpassed themselves and then on the other end of the table since it was a blowout uh, were there any freshmen that kind of stood out to you Josh because we got to see a lot more of those young guys rotate in
0: I feel like there's probably a right answer here. I mean, I, I distinctly remember uh, Justice Finkley having a good play when he got his chance to get in there and some good pursuit where he was trying to chase down Frank Harris. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Ethan Burke got in there for a little bit. Jalen Gilbo has really played a lot for a guy who I, I honestly didn't expect to see as much of him as we have. Um, yeah, those I are mean, Those are the, the, those are the that... ones on the defense that really jump off the page to me.
1: Yeah, those are the guys that I think – kind of the same thing, that um, actually you notice, right, that they kind of jump out whenever you're just watching. Uh, I think Jamon Tapp was also in for a couple of plays that I noticed. He's much smaller than I expected. I, I don't know why, but I think he's like 240 pounds, and I just totally misunderstood <laughs> what he really was going to look like, uh, which is a, you know, that's a me problem, not a him problem. But yeah, we're starting to get some of that development with the young guys going where they're getting to actually go in against a quality opponent and not not I mean I was gonna say not the Kansas backups but like we haven't gotten to play anybody like we haven't gotten to put our in our second string against Kansas in years so I can't really talk smack
0: (laughs) unfortunately I've not gotten to do that uh one one stat that I do want to draw attention to and also probably simultaneously have absolutely ruined now through some sort of fucked up jinx situation but uh don't look now that's now, four games in a row that Pete Kwiatkowski's defense has held the team at or below that Magic 20 number that was getting so hyped up during the offseason uh, before he before 2021. It was how great Washington performed with that, you know, holding holding teams under 20 points. Four games in a row. And uh, not against teams that can't score. I mean, UTSA can score. Bama, we know can score. Uh, sure, ULM and you know, limping along Kansas state at the end of last season, maybe not, but we haven't played nobody to get to that streak. So, I mean, that, that bodes well, I think at the very least, because even against weaker teams, we weren't doing that last season.
1: Oh yeah. I, that same thing was actually a little bit on my mind. I want to find the actual stat because it was around everywhere. Right. But I don't remember what it was. Like I see here that like his, Washington Bio mentioned like he allowed 18 points per game over the course of four years, which is pretty amazing.
0: Either way, a lot of the time at Washington, they held teams under 20 points.
1: Okay, here's one. It's not not exactly the same, but he had a streak of 75 straight games without giving up more than 35 points. So a little bit different. Still impressive, though.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I I think obviously getting into conference plays where we're really going to see that test, Um, I think... Kitley, the offensive coordinator for Texas tech is a guy who has had stellar offenses at Houston Baptist at Houston and then at Western Kentucky the last several years. So I'm interested to see what things he throws at us. Cause undoubtedly knowing Texas tech it again, where this is, you know, second week in a row of probably, I don't know, three or four, where this is their super bowl again, uh, especially for Texas tech, with how much they fucking hate us right now. Um, You know there's some things that he's been saving in the back pocket. So I'm really interested to see against a bona fide offensive coordinator like Kitley at Texas Tech, how Pete Kwiatkowski stands up. I know there's been a lot of hype made about his performance against Mike Leach and and stuff like that as far as the air raid is concerned, and Kitley runs a version of that air raid. So between PK and Gary Patterson, I, I think there's a lot of interesting things going on outside of whether or not when yours or Hudson card starts against Texas Tech.
1: Mhm. And the good news is uh, for the Texas Tech offense it seems like they're not in a great spot. <laughs> their starter, starting quarterback is out as also both of their backups that they play just seem like interception machines and their offensive line is not great. So, you know, my understanding of their team is that their defense is uh, improved, but that their offense is going to struggle. So I would love to see us continue to build on our defense continue to get better. Uh, play as a team, you know, because I think the next two weeks both are games where we should be able to win solidly. You know, in a similar manner to UTSA, um, we not might not blow them out, but I'm expecting like a pretty, pretty low stress win, which would kind of be a rare occurrence in Lubbock.
0: Yeah, that being said, it has been, what was it? It has to have been 2008 at this point. The last time Texas. Went into Lubbock and lost. So this is a this is a stadium, this is a fan base that Texas has absolutely owned. I think it was over the last twelve years, without a doubt, I, I think most people would say the worst twelve years in Texas football history. Tech won two games against Texas. Even at our worst, we have consistently owned Texas Tech. So that's one of those things that simultaneously sh- feels reassuring, but at the same time, just seems to scare you because it seems like okay, this should be a, sh- a sure thing, but because that's what we've had for the last twelve years is a lot of this is a sure thing, but this happened. Right. Except against Texas Tech. Texas Tech is the exception to the "but" thing. They, yeah. they just don't ever win against Texas. That's and so just many how other
1: teams. So many other teams in the conference have managed to capitalize, like TCU. Definitely capitalized. Thank you, Gary Patterson. Oklahoma State, Baylor have capitalized at times. Oklahoma, like Jesus Christ, yeah, they've capitalized. But Tech is really the only one that hasn't. God, even Kansas <laughs> has capitalized. So, you know, I the, the additional layer to that is that I would love for Quinn Ewers to actually be healthy and go out and just shred them. Uh, because, you know, he, he did kind of flirt with Texas Tech over the offseason. And I do remember, I might have to go find the receipts of the Texas Tech fans online. They're like, oh, we don't even need him. Our quarterback room is amazing. We have Tyler Shuck, and we have these other two guys. This guy has a massive arm. And um, that massive arm has not paid off so well, at least through the first three games.
0: I mean, hell, that that would be funny if it does end up being a showdown of backup quarterbacks of Hudson Card versus them. If Hudson Card lights them up, there'd be some level of, yeah, what happened? I thought you guys had the big QB room. You guys were the ones bragging about it. And our backup just lit you guys on fire again. So,
1: and it would also, that would be a scenario where Hudson card definitely overcomes some demons. Like I would love to see him go into a hostile environment and actually put up numbers uh, because that's been the, well, I, I can't say that's been the one big knock that's possibly been the biggest knock on Hudson is just, it seems like something happens mentally uh, whenever there's a hostile crowd around him. And, you know, and that is something that we haven't done yet as a team. We haven't gone out. We haven't traveled. Uh, Quinn Ewers, something I was thinking about earlier this week, let's say he is a starter. I don't know that he's traveled as a collegiate quarterback. I don't know if he traveled at all for Ohio State last year. Probably not if he was their fourth-string quarterback. So just that process of you know losing some time during the week to fly out there, staying in the hotel, using a visitor's locker room, that all can be foreign for some of our guys. Um so, you know, it's just another opportunity to actually adapt and respond. I don't expect it to be an issue, but yeah, going on the road, you always gotta pay a little bit of attention.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a wrinkle that's being introduced to a lot of guys for the first time, especially with the amount of youth that we've had, your guys like your Cole Hudson's, your kelvin Banks, um, those guys, it is all brand new to them. I mean, it's it's all brand new to them already, but now you're leaving the friendly confines of DKR for the first time. How do those guys look? How does the stage fright look? Yeah, they they showed up against Alabama. Obviously there's a lot of butterflies for good reason in that one and and they played pretty well, but that's not the same thing as going on the road.
1: Yep. So yep. and I want to see how the defense communicates cuz in that Alabama game it was loud, right? But the defense, they were, you know, there's the one play where Coburn like bumped uh Ojimo over, or maybe vice versa, or something. And then they ran it right into the new gap, like Bama did. Uh, you can see over shown in the secondary, communicating. There's lots of nonverbal stuff happening. So I'm hoping to see more of that because that would actually point to taking in the system, understanding assignments, uh, communicating with each other more than just, okay, we knew the game plan for Alabama because we've been working on it for months. So that will be, I think, pretty interesting to pay attention to. And then the offensive line, of course, like those young guys, like how can they, how can they work together? How does, how do the calls work without the veteran presence? I mean, I guess we have majors and he's probably making all the line calls, but you know, without Angulo, is that stable, stabilizing presence. How how does it all come together?
0: Yeah. And it'll be especially interesting for that offensive line, like you talked about, because they're the ones who are going to have to deal with the volume of the Texas tech crowd. Obviously Texas's defense is not going to be battling through communication-wise of, of having to work through the noise because Tech's crowd is obviously going to be quiet when Tech has the ball and is trying to operate their offense. So I, I think the biggest question is going to be seeing how that Texas offensive line handles the noise, how that communication works, how they make sure that assignments are covered, how they adapt to that, especially with that amount of youth on the line, Hayden Connor and Kelvin Banks and Cole Hudson. Being guys that didn't really get a lot of play, especially in road games yeah. last year, or you know, at all. Yeah, they, they weren't, weren't even in the program. They weren't even part of the program.
1: <laughs> and you know what, Josh? I think that's all smart and that makes sense. But did you consider that maybe Tech sold out their program because there are going to be fifty thousand Longhorns in attendance, so it will be loud for the defense.
0: That that could be. I would not cry if Texas took over Texas Tech Stadium the last time that we went to Lubbock that would be some some real full circle shit
1: yeah so I I I wasn't it's possible that I wasn't totally off there it's possible I didn't have a brain fart in the middle of the podcast
0: (laughs) no worries uh otherwise I think uh quick touch as far as state of the program type stuff uh special teams I think uh I'm I'm a little worried about the long snapping situation we've had quite a few sort of wonky snaps I think uh Machete there, Danny Trejo has been really good for a guy that we thought wasn't gonna be punting at all. I'm sort of curious about what happened to Isaac Pearson, because it went from all off season being told he's the guy at punter, he's the guy at holder, yada yada yada. He plays one game and we haven't seen him since because he had too bad uh, a bad hold and then did not catch a snap well on a punt. So that that's interesting. And then otherwise, uh Bert Auburn. We were supposed to be scared about this kicking game. That's what we were told. All the insiders were telling us that, hey, there, you should not have a whole lot of confidence in the place-kicking game. Bert Auburn has made every single field goal and every single extra point, save for one that was tipped, which is not his fault, and one with the bad hold from Isaac Pearson. Also not his fault. They looked ugly, and at first, your first reaction is, what the hell did he just do? But he hasn't missed when it's all under his control.
1: The special teams does look good. And okay, I should say the ceiling for the special teams looks good. We're still not all able to get kickoffs into the end zone for touchbacks, but that's just kind of the reality that we're in. But right, if we're able to get those little things down, which isn't that easy, it's not it's not just like you can snap your fingers and say, oh, these small issues are fixed, um, but they are fixable. So you know banks has got to figure out something with the snapping and uh, I mean theoretically holding should be fine, but even, Even some of the blocking assignments, like the one that was tipped, like it was a great play by Anderson, I think, but also I think that there was a missed assignment on that block. So, you know, there's certainly room for improvement. It hasn't cost us a game yet, though. So, I mean, I don't know. Bama, it's, let's not go down the hypotheticals road, but (laughs) I I, I don't think it's really cost us a game yet. Um, And that was my worry, but we've made it, you know, 25% of the way through. And, Definitely better than expected, which I think has kind of been the theme for the team. You know, the record is exactly what we thought it would be. But I think all the context around that has been positive. So then I think a natural question. Josh, I think going into the season, my prediction was eight and four. Yours was seven and five. Going into conference play, would you change that?
0: I mean, I would say I definitely feel a lot more positive about our ability to get to the eight and four type level. A lot more positive about our chances to hit that nine and three ceiling that I said. I think I even said last week after the Bama game, it was like, "Hey, we we played this well. When we play this well, the expectation is that we can get to the Big Twelve title game. Ten and two type stuff becomes very much on the table." I I would feel better about that knowing again knowing what's going on with Quinn. The fact that he was called day-to-day is hard to get a read on. I know that's the point. That's the reason Sark called him day-to-day was because it keeps everyone guessing. Uh, The team knows what's actually going on, but Tech doesn't necessarily know what's going on. West Virginia next week doesn't know what's going on. And then OU after that doesn't know what's going on necessarily. So if Quinn comes back and especially if he comes back this week and doesn't show any signs of lingering issues from that shoulder and from that ligament sprain then I think my my expectation goes up to to 9 and 3 and 10 and 2 certainly on the table if he doesn't though I think I hover and stay down 8 and 4 to 9 and 3 if things go well but yeah I mean we're ahead of schedule in a lot of ways the the defense especially I think has been surprising a very pleasant surprise to say the least, but yeah, definitely enough to where I feel much more confident than I did at the start of the year.
1: You know, I, I'm going to stand pat, eight and four. That's a six and three conference record. I certainly think that we're capable of losing a third of a third of our conference games. I mean, we're capable of losing more, but I think that what you were saying about eight and four, nine and three is probably about right. I want to temper expectations a little bit for Quinn Ewers because I think that he's great. I think that he'll be great when he gets back. I think he's still going to have some freshman moments. You know, with Sam, we saw it. Like, like he, he, okay, he's better than Sam was as a freshman. But, you know, we saw Sam throw, like, multiple game-losing interceptions as a freshman. At some point, I'm expecting Quinn, maybe not in the same fashion where you're throwing it, like, into a group of multiple defenders in overtime, <laughs> to lose the, like on literally the game losing play, but yeah, he might have a game where he goes out and throws three picks and you know, that's just kind of the lumps you got to take with, with a guy that is that young. So yeah, I'm staying, I'm staying at eight and four, but I do feel better about the possibility of reaching like that 10 win mark.
0: You got anything else for the state of the program before we close out here? Any other burning questions you want to ask?
1: Well, here's one. We don't really do recruiting, but man, Arch Manning has looked really good this year. Um, some of the throws that he's had are just disgusting. So I am excited with the state of the current program and hopefully I'll feel the same way in three months. That's all all I can say.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially when it comes to Arch Manning, you you look at all those highlights and naturally you see every single person who doesn't have Texas flair telling you, Oh, it's two A kids. Of course he can make those plays. Everyone looks like they're running in slow motion. No, I mean, he's what played three games so far this season. Yes, he plays for a 2A school. Two of the three teams that they have played are 5A schools. He is playing against 5A schools with a 2A team around him. Thank you again for listening to another episode of the Fire Steve Sarkeesian podcast. We appreciate all of you for tuning in, even if you are only hate listening to tell us how bad the title of the podcast is. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at, at the FSS podcast for more hot takes off the pod. Yeah, if you do want to interact with us on Twitter... Or if, sorry, I just totally went back on the line for my own script. Uh, if you want to interact with us regularly, be sure to join up with the Hornscast Discord server. As I mentioned earlier, we did a film review the last two weeks, actually, with Will Baser, uh, who does 4th and 5 when he's not busy with NBA stuff, so you haven't seen a whole lot of those episodes. But a lot of fun, uh, go a little more in-depth, get a good chance to really get in deep and rewatch the game on a deeper level than you enjoy it as a fan, especially if you know you're drinking or whatever you're doing when you're watching the game, uh, get a little more into it and see the kind of guys who may not have shown up on the stat sheet, but who had a huge impact on how that game went. Uh, finally, be sure to follow HornsCast, whatever podcasting platform you're listening on uh, helps us out immensely, not just to get our shows in the future, but also future episodes of the other shows on the network. We will see you next week. Hook em.